0: welcome to the sermon cast from king road church it's our desire that god uses this message to bring you closer to him if you'd like to pray with someone speak with one of our pastors or if you're looking for more resources please go to kingroad.ca scroll down on the homepage and fill out the reach out fillable. thanks for joining us enjoy the message I'd like to start with a short little story, not so much for your sake, but more for my sake, just to kind of get me settled into here and to, um, to get going. And um, it, it's about two little boys, two cousins. They're at a family gathering, and they're from different towns and such, and so they're they attend different churches, but each one of these cousins has been at the other cousin's church. And so they're getting into, you know, they've, they've learned from their elders, and they're, they're getting into church politics, and they start talking about church. And so the one says, you know what, I... your church is okay. The, the, the music is fine, but the commercials are way too long. <laughs> and so the other guy says, too long? In our church, the pastor, when he says, and in conclusion, he concludes. In your church, the pastor says, and lastly, and he just lasts. So hopefully that's not the case today. We're back in Peter chapter 1 and we've been in chapter 1 for quite some time and Peter is preaching and I am preaching today to the believers. Peter is preaching to the people in different areas and he is writing a letter to them to call them together. They've they've, They've been dispersed, they've been all over the place, they're, they're going through difficulties, and so he is um, writing to believers abroad. And so we've gone through a number of sermons already where we've heard about Peter himself, where we've heard about who he is writing to. He's, we've been reminded of the inheritance that we have in Christ. This, this, this inheritance that we will be getting someday. Peter encourages his believers and he encourages the churches to stay firm in their trials. Trials help us. Even suffering can be a gift from God. And it just, sometimes it just works inside of us. And it helps us to to stand still and just to focus on what it is that we need to do. But there is an end goal. In chapter 1, verse 9, our end goal is the salvation of souls. And that is even the end goal of some trials and sufferings, is the salvation of souls. And we know this because the prophets have studied this. The prophets have, uh, in in verses 10 to 12 last week, Paul was telling us about, or Pastor Paul was telling us about how the prophets have studied this goal, have studied this promise. And so, about what this means, they prophesied uh, about this and the Holy Spirit indicated that the prophets, um, or through the prophets, that there was a future Savior. And so they, they prophesied about something that is to come. And today we are on this side of the cross and we know what has come. So the prophets were preaching, the prophets were foretelling about something that was going to come. The New, uh, New Testament apostles and the preachers, such as Peter and the others, they were now sharing those prophecies and saying that they have come to pass. And then in verse 12, it says, things into which the angels long to look. And I just get this image of the angels just kind of peeking over the fence and they're just excited and they're just anxious to see what is going to happen. Because there are certain things that the angels will have never experienced. And I get this, I, like I get this vision from, it dates me a little bit, but not too much but you remember the the sitcom Home Improvements, right? Wilson is always looking over the fence a little bit. You never see his full face, and that's the kind of the image that I get of the angels peeking over and trying to see what is going to happen. What does God have in store for us as humans? And like I say, there's some things that the angels haven't experienced. The angels are there singing to God, but they will never sing the song Amazing Grace. That is a song that only we can experience that is, an, that is something that only we as as humans, as people that God has created, can experience. So in light of this inheritance, in light of all the things that God has given to us, in light of the fact that we have this end goal, what is and what what is my and what is your response in verse thirteen, where we are today, there is a change in direction we 've been told all the things that are, have been have been or have happened the things that are coming but now there's a change in direction so there is a response life is not just about suffering in verse 13 peter changes his direction a little bit and he starts calling us as believers starts calling us to holiness it's a shift from what will be to what you and i should do now Verses 1 to 12, this is what, ha- what, what kind of will be, this is what you're going to get, this is what you're living for. But now, there is a point where we have to make a decision, and we have to make a change. How do we as believers live in the here and now? It has to be different from the rest of the world. And we have responsibilities and d- duties as those who are saved. Now, holiness... We're called to holiness, but it's it's different from being moral, from morality. We we often think I'm good enough. So so why why do I have to be holy? Morality is important, but it is external. It's conforming to or obeying a set of standards or rules. And for for a lot of us that's pretty simple. If we can just, you know, check off all the things that we need to do, it's pretty simple to think, I'm a good guy. I'm a good person. Ingrid and I, we watched a, a little YouTube video about um, the Amish in, in Ohio. And the fellow was, was giving, and he was a beachy Amish. So he was more conservative or more liberal than, than some of the other ones. And they were explaining some of the things. And the fellow that was doing the video, he was, he was not a believer, he was not religious. And he says, I follow all those things. I don't do the things you don't do, so what makes you different than me? And so he was going into it about being a um, having a relationship with Jesus Christ, and and it was quite quite good. Holiness, on the other hand, as an is an internal transformation. Something happens inside of me. It's a renewal from the inside out. And so, why is this important? Hebrews chapter twelve, verse fourteen says, pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. We're to draw near to God in full faith with a cleansed conscience. And we need to genuinely accept Christ as Savior and believe that he is the only way. Without this, unbelievers will not be convinced that this direction is worth going. If we are going to make a difference, if we're going to have an impact on the people in our community, in and around us, and we're not living different than they are, if if they can't see that we've got something to offer, then why should they follow? Why should they accept what we accept if we're not showing anything different? So this holiness, this transformation, it has to come from the inside out. So today we are in chapter 1, verse 13, and I will simply progress through the, uh, through the, um, the verse and stop. I'll, I'll share a little bit, or I'll read a little bit, and, and then stop at each, um, at each point that I want to make. I don't have any slides. I'm, I don't have the headset today. I'm staying put, so I'm giving the camera people a break. I'm giving the people upstairs a break. Everybody's got a break except for you. So follow along on your own. Uh, it's, it's going to take a little bit of extra work. Let me read that, and I have it written here in the King James Version or uh, in a different version than what I have here, and I use that for preparation. It says, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's verse 13 of First, of first Peter chapter 1. Therefore, There's a reason he's making that shift, right? Because of all the things that I've told you in verses 1 to 12, now I want you to do something different. Because of all that has been promised, all the work that has gone on beforehand, I want you to do something different. But not to obtain favor, but because of the favors that have been promised. So the change, the holiness that we're called to is not to obtain favor, but it is because it has already been promised. It is a reaction to what lies ahead. We want to change. We want to become holy in order not to disqualify the splendor of his inheritance. We don't want to make that look dirty. We don't want to make that look less than appealing. So our our duty, our responsibility, is to make that shine for the people around us. Our inheritance begins when we commit our lives to Christ. That's here on earth. And an unbeliever cannot understand this. They don't, they don't know why we are looking towards the future. But as we commit our lives to Christ then our inheritance begins. So because we have this inheritance, that's why we have to live in a certain way. I was trying to think of an example of, of how we could better understand this, and I was thinking of our, our monarchy. Canada is under the monarchy of you know, the queen and such. And so, there is a certain expectation to live in a certain way. The queen is on the throne. Prince Charles, he's waiting. Prince William is waiting they are expected to live in a certain way. They are certain, expected to behave in a certain way and fulfill certain duties. Now, Harry, on the other hand, there's very little chance that he's going to get the throne. So for him, there's, 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 in a sense, no loss for making the decision that he's made. And so f- for an unbeliever, there's, there's no d- desire, there's no no need, if, if I can put it that way and understand me correctly when I say that, um, to, to live a holy life. But when we are believers, when we've accepted Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, then we have this duty, we have this responsibility to live holy lives. There's three things we must do in order to make this transformation that he says here. The first is to gird up your loins. Gird. Gird. The term comes from an ancient practice of gathering up one's robe when you need to move in a hurry. So the story or the, the example is that, that the Roman soldiers, they would be wearing a tunic that was fairly long and it was free, pretty free to move in. But when you're in battle, you do not want all that flowing uh, fabric to hinder you from running, to hinder you from combat, so that they would gird up, they would wear a belt in order to cinch that, um, that tight. And I, I was... In today's, maybe not so much today, but back, back when, a couple of years ago, a number of years ago, when bikes were a little bit different, you'd see a lot of people, they would, they would put elastic around their pant legs so as not to get it caught in the chain, just to, to keep things from stopping you from, from moving faster, right? So they, the, the soldiers would wear a belt so that they could move swiftly. It's a form of preparation, We want to keep everything intact or protect things. Safety boots, hard hats, and goggles. Those are all things that protect us, that we would consider to girding ourselves and to to prepare ourselves for action. When we think back in the story of Joseph, he was given a a tunic, a, a colorful coat, and in some translations it says a coat with long sleeves. That is meant for royalty. That is meant for somebody who's not necessarily going to be doing hard work. I've got my sleeves rolled up because I'm working right now. And for those of you who were here last Sunday, I was working last Sunday afternoon. And today, because I'm doing twice as long, I'm getting paid double for this. So, just so you know. Gird up your loins. It's an odd expression. For, for us today, but for the people of that time, it wasn't so odd. So the loins, that's your midsection. That's your, your, uh, the place of strength and creativity. It's your core. When you watch sports, or if you watch sports and you watch tennis players, there's always this grunt that comes just right down from, from the, the base of, of all their strength. And in order to, to hit that and to make that shot. And so you hear the, the tennis and the racket on the ball, but you also hear the, uh, Quite often, like every shot, and, and it, it seems to be that females more than men, or it's just that way. But that is uh, that is just, that's where the strength comes from. And I, I know that when, when our boys were doing sports and such, the coaches were saying, you know what, you've got to train your core. You've got to keep that, that uh, strong, and you've got to keep that um, going. So the core is important. So gird your loins, gird your core, set that in in, uh, in readiness. We're supposed to gird up the loins of our mind. Another odd um, expression there. But he's talking about our thoughts. Gather up your thoughts. Keep a careful check on your thought process. Don't let your minds wander from God's truths. Do not allow yourself to be influenced by an ungodly mindset. Do away with Loose and sloppy thinking guard your thinking when I was in high school computer science and all that kind of stuff was coming in and They were telling us to remember gigo G-I-G-O Garbage in garbage out if you don't input we're learning how to Input programs and such if you don't input the right things into the computer You're not going to get the right things out in that whatever you're trying to program you're trying to write So garbage in garbage out and that's the same thing with our thinking. We should not allow ourselves to be unsettled by an unbiblical worldview. We have an end goal. We know where we're going, and we know what we're supposed to do. And that is written in God's Word. So we need to study that. So if we want to gird our, the loins of our mind, it means to be focused in the Word of God. How will I know if I've girded my Mind. Well, we will verify the things that we are told. We will examine the facts. In chapter 17 of Acts, Paul was on a missionary journey, and he was um, preaching in different areas, and it says the Bereans, they listened to him, and then they fact-checked what he had said. They studied what he had said so that they wanted to make sure that what Paul was telling them was correct. And that's what we need to do as well. We need to seek out the truth, be ready for action and don't allow distractions to move us from living a holy life. Satan is more than happy to help us with that. He wants to move us away. He wants us to distrust God. Did he really say that you wouldn't inherit, that you would Was it really so bad? That was his question to Eve in the garden. Did he really say? And I think sometimes we have God's or, or we have Satan saying that in our minds as well. Did he really say? Is that really so bad? But we need to focus on on the things. Satan wants to distract us by encouraging us to disobey. He distracts us by confusing us. There's many false teachers that tell us one thing, but it's so close to the truth. It almost sounds right. He wants to hinder our service to God. There are many times when things just like, oh, it doesn't really suit. I, I can't make it. I've, I've got this, I've got that coming up. I, I'd rather not. Those are all ways that Satan wants to hinder our service. He likes to bring division as opposed to being unified. And he wants to encourage us to have a worldly mindset. Our minds are the places where decisions are made. We have the expression, you make up your mind. And so the thought process, the creativity, the, our strength, it comes from having a sound mind. If you're making a will, if you're signing something, if you are of sound mind... If you're able to make those decisions. And so in order to live a holy life, our mind has to be sound. We have to be prepared for action. Ephesians 4.14, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. We are asked to tuck away or pull together the loose ends of our minds so that we can make wise decisions. So a girded mind is composed, calm, and strong in the Lord, flooded with peace in the face of persecution. So next, he tells us to be sober. So I looked in the Webster's Dictionary to see what that means. Webster tells us it's unhurried or calm, at least that's one of the definitions. It's marked by temperance, moderation, or seriousness. Showing no excessive or extreme qualities of fancy emotion or prejudice. This is what the dictionary tells us as a definition of sober. Most of us would say, sober, not intoxicated. That's a simple expression or a simple meaning as how we understand to be sober, not intoxicated. And and that usually refers to, to alcohol. As I was studying this, I came across a video as well on a science video of a doctor explaining what happens when alcohol enters the body. And I found it a lot more fascinating than science in grade 9. And it wasn't as gross either. But, um, so when alcohol, it comes into the body through the mouth, it goes through the esophagus, enters the stomach, enters the liver goes through the heart it's pumped through different areas it's pumped through the lungs and only when it hits the lungs that's when you smell apparently the the odor of alcohol on the breath it's not when it comes into your mouth apparently and then it moves from the lungs it's got, it it moves throughout the body and then it ends up in your brain and so at that point if there's more of it in there the hormones are out of control stress is produced, your adrenaline spikes, your heart rate goes up, and you have a diminished ability to make wise choices and inhibitions leave us. So that's what happens. And at at this point, I'm going to encourage you not to be like the Bereans and test everything out. Okay? Just, Just want to say that here. But when when we don't have full control. Now, to be spiritually sober is to be steadfast, to hold on to what we know is true. It's a certain level of self-control, not to let things get out of hand, to be even-keeled. It's important for us to have a clarity of mind. Know what you believe and why you believe it. Be ready to give a defense for the gospel that is within you. To be fully alert... First Peter 4.7 says, But the end of all things is at hand, therefore be serious and watchful in your prayers. We know that Christ could come at any time, so we must be even more serious, even more ready for action and watchful, to be clear-minded. So a, Christian, a sober Christian has charge of his priorities, allows God to lead him and is not lured by the deception of this world. When a person is intoxicated with alcohol, there are, there's a period called the hangover. You're exhausted, you feel nauseous, and there's a loss of appetite. When we are spiritually, or when we're not spiritually sober, believing everything that comes across our path, we will, be, we will become exhausted and also have no appetite for the truth. So we do need to be sober in our minds. Gird your mind, gird the loins of your mind, be sober, and then next, rest your hope fully. In the light of an inheritance, we have another duty, and that is to rest. Our theme for this uh, series is called, set your hope. Here in this passage, it says, um, in, in my translation, it says, rest your hope. Set, rest, take aim, focus on one particular thing, and that is the hope. Hope or to rest, to to decide to rest, to set, to take aim, it's a conscious choice. It doesn't come naturally. It doesn't come easy. So we need to make a conscious choice to rest our hope. We have a living hope. It's not just wishful thinking. We have a living hope, and that's waiting on salvation with full confidence. We don't have to just, I hope it's going to come. It's not just a, a wish. It's not an action. It is a thing. It is this hope that we can, uh, it's it's a tangible thing that we can rest on. Because of the fact that we have an inheritance, we should live in light of eternity. A lot of times we find, and I myself included, uh, we find ourselves living for today, for the things that we need to do today. But it's so much more important for us to live in light of eternity. If and when we face trials, we can rest assured that our salvation will be made complete at the second coming. And that's the last part of the verse. Upon the grace that is, not maybe, or there's a pretty good chance that this grace will happen. No, upon the grace that is to be brought to you. Not the grace of the past or even the present, but the grace that we will experience in the future. And that will happen at the revelation of Jesus Christ. There is an end goal. There is a goal line. And there's a, there's a place that we are um, shooting for. So as believers today, we have an obligation to live in a certain way. Not to build a reserve of favor. God is not going to put us on a scale, and that we will be on one side of the scale, and all our good deeds will be on the other side, and that we hope that it balances. We're on one side of the scale, yes, but on the other side of the scale, we have the cross, and we have the spear, and we have the crown, and we have the the grave clothes, the stone that's rolled away. Those are the things that are on the other side of the scale. We have that inheritance. If we accept Jesus Christ, if, we have, if you have accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, and you proclaim him to be your Lord, then we have a responsibility to begin changing from the inside out and call to holiness. But because it has already been granted to others, to be... To believers, as believers, we have this promise and assurance that we will have that grace. So, lastly, where does that leave us today? Am I living like this? Are you living like this? Am I pursuing peace and holiness? I think that as believers, we need to ask ourselves a few questions How does my faith impact the decisions that I make? Is there a difference between how you make a decision and how an unbeliever makes a decision? Does it impact how I decide things? How does my walk impact those around me? Do people see that I'm just moral? Or do people see that I am working on holiness? Are you making that change from the inside out? Or are we just giving that that look where it just seems to be all good and then what changes must I make that's a personal question that's, that's for each one of us personally I can't answer that question for you you can't answer that for your neighbor for anyone else but you can only answer that question for yourself what change must I make in order to begin this life of holiness and how long are we supposed to do this till the end of our days, till the revelation of Jesus Christ, when either when he calls us home or when, we, when he comes here. That is how long our holiness journey should and will last. And that's when we will be perfected. At the beginning, I said I was preaching to all the, the Christians, all the believers. Is, if there is somebody in this room who has not made that decision to follow Jesus Christ this morning you're not necessarily off the hook. I appeal to you that that you make that decision to follow Jesus Christ, to make Him your personal Lord and Savior. Don't let the bad examples of us who are Christians cha- influence you And if we as Christians have modeled a life that is less than holy, then we need to apologize. If we as Christians have modeled a life that is less than holy, do not follow that. But look into the Word. Study the Word. Learn the truth. Be sober. Gird your loins of your mind. Be ready for action and live that life. Because we do have an inheritance. There is something waiting for us at the end of the line. And we have that inheritance assurance i would invite us to bow for prayer then the team will come up and we will sing another song and then i will um have a blessing for us heavenly father we thank you for the word of god i thank you that we have so much richness in there and sometimes we find it confusing but at times as we've seen today it's 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 very clear we have an obligation And and you've called us to holiness. You've called us to to live a life that is different. That every action, every reaction, out of every fiber of our being, that we make it with the intent that we have an inheritance, we have grace that we can um, experience, and we have this hope. We have this confident assurance that our salvation is secure and give us the strength to live like that day by day. Give us the courage to make the changes, to see the changes, and to make those changes as we, as we need. And I pray for those who have not yet made that decision. We pray that the Holy Spirit will work in their hearts and um, convince them as well to draw them close to you and that they too will be able to experience this inheritance. Amen.